Hey you, thanks for tuning into the Waiting List Podcast. I'm Long Long. I'm Daniel. And I'm Jacqueline. And we are three watch friends with a healthy obsession for watches. So sit back and relax with us while we chat with collectors, industry giants, and share some good vibes. Okay, welcome to the pod, guys. And uh, today we have a fellow watch enthusiast that has also, well, similar to my previous days, set up a watch community within his uh, home country. Um, it's Malaysia Watch Club. And the guy behind it, I think one of the co-founders, is Kevin. So welcome to the show, Kevin. Hi, guys. Glad to be here. Thank you for coming on. So we're just going to go straight into it. And I'm actually looking forward to this because I don't think this is going to take a lot of brain power. <laughs> what is that supposed to mean? <laughs> well, I just think it's going to be like natural, you know, oh, right. very, very like flowing. But um, and I think there's lots of places I'm going to resonate with you because of your experience, like setting up a club and the ethos behind it and then trying to not like, regulate it, I would say. But what made mm -hmm. you start Malaysia Watch Club? So I think the main reason why uh, a bunch of guys, uh, me and a bunch of guys started was because um, it provided us access to, uh, to be able to look at more watches because you can never have enough watches or you can never afford everything. So it didn't make the watch collecting journey boring in a sense because it can be quite singular, right? Uh, it's always... It's always you and the computer or you and a book learning and reading about something. So uh, it's just a sharing of the knowledge and also seeing the pieces. I think that's how we started. And of course, there were plenty of drinks. Very important uh, to keep the conversation flowing. Um, and yeah, that's basically what, what, uh, what led us to start the club, uh, to meet up regularly and also to maybe meet more people. Okay. I have a question straight away, like um, mm -hmm. probably not related to watches, but I always thought this, like if you're a married guy or you're staying with your girlfriend and then suddenly you, you find a group of friends. So you go from like Monday to Friday, maybe meeting your friends once a week. And then suddenly you have all these like watch club events at night that she mm -hmm. has no idea what it's like. And why are you going out all like all these nights drinking whatever like how do you explain this to like your wife or your other half like what's happening there uh so my wife has actually given up on me so as long as i tell her she's like yeah okay, just go ahead right right who are you meeting i'm meeting my watch guys oh okay yeah fine you're fine you know, just okay. go you know okay. yeah yeah but uh, i would tend to agree right like out of all the excuses you could give um mm -hmm. to try and get out of the house saying you're going to meet a bunch of watch guys it's just so uh like out there like really like you, it must be true that you're doing it because like one it sounds you, like you, you can't so, tell right? yeah it just sounds like you're so like geeky and have although you're meeting friends it sounds like you have no friends mm -hmm. <laughs> but you know like when they say a pile of watches on the table they call it a sex pile yeah. But imagine just reading that message, like, okay, we'll take pictures of the sex pile. <laughs> but I, I honestly don't even think she follows the page anymore. She just okay. can't be bothered anymore. Okay. Yeah, you're there. Okay, you're there. Let's go do your thing. Does, uh, does sex pile mean something different to you, Lam? <laughs> Let me just edit out that 
uh, moment of silence. <laughs> <laughs> but right. uh, Kevin, I was going to ask, right? I understand like why you started it, and but how did you get to like at least three people? You know what I mean? Like, did you actually say, okay, I want to start a club now. And so I'm going to meet people. Mm-hmm. And then how am I going to find these people? You know, there's not like, there's a reason why the journey is solitary at the beginning, because there aren't the people around. So uh, I was quite lucky in that sense, because um, uh, we did a Roman Gautier event. This was way back when. And um, we couldn't get, I, I couldn't get people to come. Um, so I tried to get some private banking customers to come, some other supposedly watch people to come, but we just couldn't get anyone to come to a Roman Gothica event. And uh, the reason being that is because Malaysia is just dominated by the big brands. So no, no, not many people are interested in independence. And this was like, what, four or five, six years ago? I, don't, I can't remember. So it's even worse then, right? And uh, one of my, uh, well, my business partner actually met a few guys that were supposedly to watch us and uh, they came and that's how we got to know each other. So automatically we started off with four, inclusive of me, and then we had another two more. And it just, it just, it, it just went six of us when we met up regularly and then COVID happened and then uh, Instagram happened. So sliding into everyone's DMs and that's how the club grew to about what 15 around around 15 now okay All kinds of wrong sliding into people's dms <laughs> <I didn't even laughs> <watch> you. <laughs> yeah you, you know, i think you've highlighted the key thing that i've never really thought of which is like mm-hmm. yeah sex pile and these terms that we yeah. we yeah. use which are very uh well <laughs> uh weighted towards uh you know sex mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> But Kevin, how did you find, um, you know, something that was really early, you know, on my mind when we were meeting up here was security. So when um, we started Shanghai Watch Gang, it just happened to be that one of the members had his own, um, like, private bar, private club, Mm -hmm. right? Private members club. So we used to just, like, meet up there and nobody could enter unless you actually, you know, knew the guy. So how did, you know... How did you find a place? Because otherwise, you know, you so go to a restaurant, it's not really the right place to do it. Yeah. Um, so I actually own a wine shop distribution bar slash thingy in KL. So uh, we normally do all our meets there. Uh, the reason being it's, it's not a private club, but because we deal only with uh, private customers. So there are no walk-ins. So in general, it's a bit safer. Mm. And uh, the clientele is well, because... The clientele is all friends, I guess, in a way. So um, everyone kind of knows everyone. Uh, KL is quite small, so uh, rich people come. They have their bodyguards, so we just piggyback on the bodyguards. And now uh, we have drivers and all that. So you know, we. So that's next level then. Because yeah. Shanghai Watch Gang doesn't have yeah. bodyguards. No, but then you, you have guys have bodyguards. The, but, but the bodyguards then yeah. turn out to be the ones that rob you. <laughs> okay. Uh, okay. So far, touch wood, it hasn't happened. Yeah, okay, but, yeah. So yeah, I'm probably offending a lot of Malaysians. The, what I'm gonna do at the next Shanghai Watch Gang meetup, yeah, is I'm mm. not gonna have the bodyguards, but I'm gonna have the body bags. Yeah. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> I'll say, nah, yeah, we got the body bags for people that we we sort out that come and try and steal stuff. They're out of the back. <laughs> that is the next level but, baller style, you know, get together, isn't it? 
you know, to be honest right now with uh, what's been happening in Europe and the US, I don't think Malaysia is dangerous anymore. I think Malaysia is super safe you know, compared to all the watch crime in Europe and the US. It's mm. crazy. I agree. I mean, not that yes. I live there, mm. but it's just I think also because such a large population is Muslim. And if you actually understand mm. the religion, they it's not I mean, they take this kind of stuff very seriously, right? Like stealing and lying and stuff. So I, I actually feel kind mm. of safe there, actually. Yeah. yeah, it's not that bad. It depends where you go, but I guess yeah. like every other city in the world. So uh, there are some good places and there are some places that you shouldn't go. Yeah. Mm. Mm. So um, are there any other watch clubs in Malaysia? Like you can't be the first, because I would say if you're just before COVID, you, mm-hmm. um, you're actually, you know, compared to let's say Singapore watch club and ourselves, it's quite a period of time. You're quite recent, you know, established. Yeah, very recent. Um, yeah, there are, there are other clubs and there are even uh, new clubs popping up uh, currently. So I think that's another club called Malaysia Watch Group. I think they're active on Facebook and also they are a much bigger group. So, uh, but I haven't, I haven't actually interacted with them. Um, there are that? a few other guys, there's a few new guys that started something called My Watch Kaki. So it's uh, oh, a young collection. Explain that to Dan, he won't get it. Yeah. My, so, watch uh, my watch Kaki is basically like, Malaysian. Hang on, hang on, hang on. You'll have to spell that out. I, I'm like not going to be the only pants. one that doesn't get that. I reckon okay. the audience doesn't know what you're saying. You know, khaki colored pants yeah no 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 khaki no, but it's not K-A-K-I. that meaning, but the spelling yeah yeah uh, okay my watch khaki <laughs> yeah it's hashtag my watch khaki so i think they're like a so what does it mean of, um, oh we'll try and guess what it uh, <laughs> i have no idea what my watch khaki means okay like what kind of so, names would people come up with for a watch club uh, it, well, it's not it's my very... watch khaki <laughs> <laughs> Malaysian slang right so it's kind of like English but yeah. we have like Malaysian English so my watch khaki means my watch uh, buddies yeah, in a way like buddies friends oh yeah. okay so khaki, so long long are you my friend. khaki yeah but not like the way you're saying it you're like <laughs> car key <laughs> like, yeah it sounds like you're my key of my car it's like i never used to understand like what's the point of having all these short terms until there's like an emergency and you're like rushing to go somewhere and then you realize oh like long sentences can suddenly be shortened into like one or two words when there's an emergency (laughs) motivation yeah right so how do you like quote unquote vet collectors that come into the group Mm. I think the easiest thing would be to just meet for coffee first, you know, um, um, stalk them on their page a little bit, see what they have, see, see the Kawhi watches that they, they own. Um, not because it's a judgment on, uh, on their collection. It's just, um, uh, a judgment on their personality. <laughs> well, maybe, uh, depends. So, uh, but yeah, it's more, more, more on the safety thing. So I guess if you are like-minded or it sounds a bit bad to say it, but if it's, uh, if you have a certain value of watches in I general, it should be kind of all. safe. I think it's completely yeah. valid because this is dangerous, right? Mm-hmm. But it's also like, how yeah. do you ask people this? Do you say, um, Hey, what do you do for a living? Or like, how do you, how do you gauge this kind of stuff? 
yeah so um so i do that and then we meet for coffee or something like that we have a chat and um if i think the dynamics uh, fits the group then you know just come and do the physical meet if it doesn't then um i don't i've never actually turned anyone away but at the same time i've never extended an invitation if that makes sense if it doesn't if it doesn't uh, yeah, if it, it doesn't, the, yeah, the fit doesn't 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 feel right. So, uh, but yeah, sorry, I keep cutting in. But Dan, like, just to make this easier for you to understand, right? So I'm like, obviously, I'm biased. I'm half Malaysian, but I live in Singapore, right? I think the biggest difference that you experience, like, the moment, like, I went to KL, is like you're like, whoa, the people here are really nice. So when you tell me like you don't really you haven't really turned anyone away I'm like of course not Malaysians are so nice whereas I think with Singapore they might be more like careful who they let in but in general Singapore is so much safer in that sense you you don't have to really yeah yeah in in Shanghai I turn people away because I don't know if you've had this yet Kevin you might this might be coming but there Mm. were um people that were pretending to be collectors that when they were actually dealers right so they were looking for customers so they were feigning to be collectors just to meet the database and then there were media people um that were trying to get into the group for the same reason because they wanted to leverage off the group to like invite them off to you know brand events that you know they might have um something to do with right um and so, yeah, we were careful with that kind of thing. So we wanted to keep it not commercial, actually, especially at the beginning. We wanted to just to keep it pure because it was fun. And then as soon as you go to the, we'll make it more commercial. It's not fun. There's a reason. I don't know if this is the case with you, right? You clearly went to a Roman Gothia event. You've probably been to a lot of other events. Um, mm-hmm. And something with events is generally after you've been to like the first two, the novelty factor kind of wears off pretty quick, right? And all you want to really yeah. see are just the watches. You don't really want to, I know it sounds bad, but you don't really sometimes want to even talk to anybody. Like and I'm including, and, and, and I include the sales or, or the, the representatives of the brand within that. You just want to have some time with the piece, look at it and not even feel pressured to give it back you know, after like two minutes, because you feel bad that nobody else is seeing the piece, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and that's why I think, you know, in the setting we had, you know, people could just chill out. You know, once you go into a brand setting and sometimes you have to like eat those like shitty canapes. Yeah, I mean, there's, there's yet to be a brand that actually makes like decent canapes. Um, and the whole thing is just really uh, contrived, isn't it? It just feels very, very forced and unnatural. And that actually makes me feel, well, me, me and then like my other friends feel really, really like unnatural. And if you don't buy or if someone's not buying right there and then, you feel worse for even staying there, right? For a, a, any length of time. So yeah, like that was the main reason. So that's why we were really careful about letting brand people and brand. Yeah. That was another one. Brand brand people also wanted to come in. So sales of other brands, oh, they were desperate mm-hmm. to come in. Right. And it would be like, no, we have this rule. So we kind of like just worked on the fly about that, but mm-hmm. it worked. And then people, more and more people like 
came down. I mean, have you had that yet? We aren't as particular as you, I guess. Um, we That's don't nice have, it. <laughs> we don't have uh, brand brand people or dealers as members, but um, again, because KL is really small, right? So everyone tends just to know everybody. So um, somehow or other, we've, we're, we're connected, or we have a we have a mutual friend, or you know, then sometimes they want to come along, just come along, right? Um, but there's no sales done. There's no pitch. There's no you know. There's no hot sell. Um, if we do an event with a brand, uh, the people from the brand, of course, they do come. Uh, yeah. And because we do everything really casual, so you just put your watches down. Whoever whoever is there just spends as much time as they want with the watches. Um, and then uh, because it's going to be a few hour thing anyway. So, you know, it's each to his own. You know? And if you want to talk to the brand people or you want to talk to the brand owner, well, he's there or she's there, then, you know, you can get as much information or as little information as you want from whoever, whoever is there at the time. So um, we are not structured in the sense that, um, okay, from this time to this time, this is when you look at the watches, this time, this time, yeah, it's just, okay, we have six hours or four hours for the whole event. Just do what you want, you know, even if you don't want to speak the whole four hours, then that's up to you. Yeah. But yeah, each to his own. Mm. Yeah. Uh, Long Long, how was it for you? Because I don't know if it would be different, like from a girl's perspective, when you, let's say, because uh, I know you also had that idea of when you meet somebody, you also want to see maybe a piece that you haven't seen before, right? Mm-hmm. And you want to learn about like a certain piece. Mm-hmm. Did you also go through like uh, initially, like watch groups, watch clubs, or did you find people on Instagram? Like, how did you meet your like, meet people in the community? Well, like all the way in the beginning, right? Uh, I didn't think anyone would meet me. (laughs) So I would never message anyone. I was just always like one of those like Instagram creeps, like just stalking people, but like could never even, I wouldn't even react to their story, even though I really wanted to meet them. And you know, in Hong Kong, there are some people who really have like, like the most like killer like fpj collection or something but you're just like how do i talk to them but uh, i think after my account grew a little it kind of went the other way around so people wanted to meet and i selfishly only replied the people that i thought hey these were the people i always wanted to meet um and then i always made sure that it was just me and the person alone because I like, I just want to go there and absorb everything. I don't put a time limit for how long I meet the person. And then I usually think that there's a high chance I'll hit it off with the person anyways, and then it'll become a regular thing. And then with a lot of the watch clubs in Hong Kong, I think there was a few that tried to, um, they were just trying really hard to like get everyone to come together and then put all the watches in the center and take a picture. But you kind of just feel like, uh, I mean, I'm I'm very selfish about this. Like I, I'm here to learn and I want to see things. I'm not there to like make friends. So um, I just basically rejected everything, right? And then now I'm in this group called Hong Kong Watch Club and I have to give it to them. Like they are really strict with who they let in and I used to think that was kind of mean because I died to be in a watch club when I first came here. Um, but now I totally see why, because it 
if you just let one person in, so they do what uh, Kevin does, which is like the founders will meet them separately for coffee and then look at the dynamics of how this person would fit into the group. So we have never had a G2G where it felt like one guy was trying to like speak louder than the rest. It was just mm. always like such good energy. And every mm. time we went, you never felt like there was enough time to interact with someone else. Like, and then it's like, oh my God, like six hours went by and it's like time to go home, that kind of feeling. Mm. And I mm. think that doesn't come naturally. That comes with work and like uh, the founders having to vet people. So when mm. you said that whole, like you want to have coffee first, I was like, yeah, it should be done. It makes a huge difference. Yeah. So after all this vetting process, Kevin, mm. like what's the mix of watch collectors in the group right now, would you say? Mm, I think we're quite varied. So uh, everyone's at a different stage of their journey. Um, we all have vintage guys. We have uh, modern guys. We have independent guys. We have uh, Cartier guys. So it's quite a, quite a good, varied mix. So I think that's good in the sense that um, <clears throat> everyone gets to see different type of watches that you never generally would look at by yourself. Right? And, there's, uh, um, and I think that promotes sharing. So let's say I, I, I'm, not, I'm not big into vintage uh, or 40s, 50s, 60s vintage. I'm not big into that, but I can appreciate it. The guy that one of our members, um, he's really knowledgeable about it. So he always tells a good story. He does his research. He just tells a story. He, you know, I think that's interesting. It's something that I will never buy, but I still want to listen to the story. I still want to um, learn about it and also maybe learn about the brand, <clears throat> learn about the history of it, something like that. So I think that's the one that makes it more fun rather than just, uh, here, here's my watch. Have a look at it. Oh, no, it's nice. Condition is good. You know, something like that. There has to be a story to it. Yep. So if people want to come, like, if one of, if people want to go under the Kevin vetting process, yeah, do they just have to slide into your DMs? Yeah, just DM me. Um, and uh, we'll set something up. Uh, and yeah, in general, that's how, it, that's how it works. Right. And how has your setting up like Malaysia watch club impacted your own watch journey. Um, and let me elaborate, right? Because mm -hmm. I set up the like watch club one, because I, I actually didn't have any friends <laughs> in Shanghai. Um, I had just moved to the place. Okay. <laughs> I just want to put it out there and I didn't have many friends and I was very lonely and I liked watches. Um, and I wanted to see, for the same reason as you, more watches without going to, and to be honest, right? Just because you go to a brand doesn't mean you can see the watches. Yeah, yeah. because you know, some, some watches are discontinued and some are limited. You're just not gonna see them. Um, so that was a, an incentive for me to, to start this Shanghai watch gang. And then after a while, like you've seen the DBs, you've seen the Irwers, you've seen all the Indies, you've seen the Pateks, right? And you actually like run out of pieces like or you start definitely running out of pieces that actually uh kind of give you that hit yeah impress you and you think oh you know today i saw like you know this watch or whatever watch right i remember you know one of the early people you know that i set up with was austin austin chu so horror loop right and he was mm -hmm. at the very very beginning of his like uh 
watch collecting in terms of how he's seen now, right? He'd been collecting for a while, but like during that phase, it just blew up to another level. He did have the Quantum Perpetual AP and Stainless Steel Openwork, which is an insane piece, absolutely insane. Yeah, I think he offered me for that piece like ridiculously, like ridiculous price. It's like the biggest kick in the teeth ever. Like I should have so taken it considering what it goes for now. But like, yeah, he, he, I remember at the beginning, yeah, he bought a 5711, you know, and that's the first time I saw a 5711, you know what I mean? Like, and he could actually, at that time, you could actually get one. <laughs> um, but then after you've seen the 5711, it's like great the first time because you, you kind of like mark it off and say, I've seen the 5711. But then you think, okay, second time, oh, I'll see it again. And then the third, fourth, fifth time, it kind of uh, wears off. I actually felt that strongly with uh, Richard Mill as well, because, you know, the price tag that comes with the Richard Mill, I remember this carbon, I think it was a 1103 and the 35, the Nadal, right? The Rafa. And I was like, wow. But then I was just like, I think looking back, I was like, wow, because it was a Richard Mill and the price point, you know, I'd never seen a, like a piece like this. And I thought, wow. But then again, RM quickly kind of faded away in my kind of, oh, so what you, you know, you keep moving on and more and more, but you run out of things. Yeah. And then suddenly it's not only the pieces that run out. Sorry, I kind of hijacking your, your, your answer here, but I'm just want to explain oh, no. like, how, like it is, <laughs> is that the stories of the watches, the stories of the collectors also, also seem to be a bit familiar with the other guy. Yeah, I don't know if you find mm. that like, so this yeah. guy's story of how he got into what oh, it's the same, you know, and then what he liked, okay, yeah, he liked and then there's a lot of overlap. And then you're finding a lot of difficulty finding within that story, a unique story that you think, ah, oh, okay, that was sounds really bad, but that was worth the evening that was worth me coming out. Right. So um, we were doing about once every two weeks initially. Um, mm -hmm. And the group was expanding fast but not fast enough to quench my desire to learn and also um, yeah, see new pieces. But something that kept me like doing it was I always remembered how I felt, you know, at the start. Right. And as everybody was coming in, they were still, you know, how I was at the start. Right. And I thought, you know, that is something I shouldn't forget, you know, like, yeah. So that's why I kept going. That, that's my answer to the question. <laughs> but what's your answer? I don't think I need to give an answer anymore. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> no, so I are think, you saying it's similar? Uh, it's kind of similar, but on a personal level, I think um, just, just the whole experience has forced me to really relook at what I find interesting. All right. Or, or, Relook at what I think is what horology is to me now, right? So at every different stage of your collecting journey, you, you mean something else, right? So uh, for example, if you were into steel sports watches, then it would be your Pateks, your 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 Nautiluses, your Royal Oaks, and all that. And then you move on. Some don't, some do. Um, so I think I think the whole the whole process, our whole journey, has led me to really relook at. Uh, what I really like, what I find interesting, what I think it's worth spending money on, 
because ultimately it's about spending your heart and money on something that you you know really really try to understand or you know try to try to try to like and um the last for me the last well two years covid years has really forced me to uh well i got bored of a lot of things so it's a lot of fatigue because uh, just by seeing uh news on social media or reading about it and actually looking at the pieces uh there was one point i just got tired it's like and i wasn't i wasn't really looking at anything um but i i, I had one of one of my members or he's the guy that I, i i um i speak to the most regarding watches right he's he's my bible basically he, he's very knowledgeable on a lot of things so he was the one that actually led me to Why don't you open up your horizons, right? Just look at dress watches, look at complications, look at uh, other brands, you know, look at look at finishing, look at you know, just bright open up open up your horizons, right? And I did that, and uh, it got better, better in the sense that oh, okay, it's actually not so small, right? The watch world is actually very big. It's just how 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 open do you want to be about it? Mm. And uh, from that on, then I could form better. Opinions, or I, I would say better opinions regarding my own personal journey and regarding what I like. Mm. If that makes sense. No, I think that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, yeah, because I, I, I don't know about you two, but I think there's periods in your watch journey, or periods in my watch journey. I'll talk about myself again, um, where you stagnate, like you almost hit a brick wall. Um, mm-hmm. And like you said, you either stay there and you're happy, and you kind of like don't want to take it any further, and that's completely fine. But then you can keep going. But it's just I don't think it's um, yeah maybe it's a timing thing. I think in the watch gloves and people you meet, right? They do impact you. But finding those people that do impact you seem to become rarer and rarer. You know, mm, I, I see not. like these people, and you really know really quickly if you're going to resonate with them. Like you're going to have that deep bond with them. You know, you get so good at meeting a watch collector and knowing straight away. And these people, I think, then, as you say, open up your horizon in a different way. Sometimes it's because of how they conduct themselves, and you admire them, and then how it resonates with their watch. And then you think, actually, you know, that's how I want to be. That's how I approach things. So, I mean, let's just say my original answer about. You know, getting fatigue and looking at all these pieces. There was a, certainly an element of my watch journey which was about like ticking things off and seeing this and, and and feeling it and touching it, right? And then also there was part of the journey where I was like desiring these pieces just because I was in a watch club and I felt that kind of hierarchy and that like social pressure, right? And then now it's like actually, who am I, and how do I best represent myself in a watch, right? Mm-hmm. And it's really become very focused between me and the relationship with the watch, rather than, in a way, I know we do talk about it on the podcast as well, like how you appear, you know, what what you wear, you know, gives off a certain feeling. But I almost completely feel that secondary now. I almost don't care, mm-hmm. yeah, because I, it's not, you know, I would be wrong to say I don't care at all, but I, it, it really is like secondary, and I'm, I think I'm slowly fi- refining that and. And knowing exactly why I want a piece, even though before you would have said the same thing. Oh, I know exactly why I want this piece, but now it just seems I just feel so much more assured in my uh, thing, and not even rushed. You know, before there seemed to be a rush. 
you know, to get everything to show off the next piece. Yep. And now it's like, nah, I'll just bide my time. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm quite happy with the pieces and yeah, it's, it's, it's slowly refining. I, I would say, you know, I, I definitely like discrete stuff. I like, I, I, there is a part of me that, um, likes complications, but I like the complications to be like discrete. I don't, I don't necessarily like them like smack bang in your hair and face. And, and also now it's really like, you know, when we bought a watch, when I first bought a watch, it was all about, um, accessorizing, you know, I bought like the Seamaster and, you know, cause I wanted to be like James Bond and it was about looking good in a suit and all this kind of stuff. And now I'm going back to that, you know, like the watch being the accessory again, you know, mm-hmm. where there was a period of time where it didn't really matter what you wore as long as the watch was there. And then you just, boom, you know, your watch says all the talking. I don't want that anymore. You know? For me, yeah. Yeah, for me, I think I kind of resonate with what um, Lung always says. So she says that uh, watch is a very emotional thing. So it's like, it, it, doesn't, it doesn't bother me what I wear because I'm mostly in oh, Malaysia, right? So I'm t shirts and shorts every day and flip flops, right? So that's my normal go to attire. And um, how I pick my watches or how I pick the watches to wear is just I open up a drawer. This is what I feel like today. It makes me, it makes me feel good today, right? And yeah, that's that's how I approach it now. So the one the one that gives me the most joy is the, the watch that's right for me. If mm-hmm. that's yeah, that's how I approach it now, right? So yeah. it doesn't need to be a big brand, it doesn't need to be a complication. It's, it's, yeah. you know, it's just whatever feels right on that day. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. I think uh Collective Man posted a IWC engineer, right? The one which is uh, chronometer certified, like a couple of days ago or yesterday. And I've been looking at that piece. And that's a piece where mm. I just think, you know, having researched it, Gerald Gent's design, you still see like the holes in the lugs, uh holes in the bezel, sorry. Mm. Um, the integrated bracelet around the case, you know, isn't a Nautilus or a Royal Oak. Yeah, but so discreet and the and the size is slightly smaller. You think it's such a very accomplished piece to have, you know, and it's a brand that nobody really gives a second look at. I think that's just, that's just me, you know, right there in that watch every day, you know, nothing pretentious, you know, despite what people may think. But, <laughs> but talking, talk, talking about Long Long, yeah. Do you guys have any girls in your watch club? None. We don't have any girls in the watch club yet. Okay, so, so okay. we're not as lucky as you. <laughs> lucky as you, but unlucky for her. So had to put me out there. Right in the Shanghai one. Uh, so yeah, this is funny. Like, what? So obviously, people that collect watches in this price bracket of watches, right? Obviously, are bringing in a certain amount of net wealth. You know, they're doing quite mm-hmm. okay for themselves. Um. And so it became a place where it attracted women, you know, for eligible bachelors. Yeah. Um, it was never, you know, anybody smart enough to think that is also smart enough to do the facade of it, right? To kind of feign interest in watches, to get into the group, say the right things and stuff. And then it becomes pretty obvious what's actually happening. Um, I'm, unfortunately, it just human nature right very realistic you know some places mm. and that's that's something that 
you know but then if you keep the group and literally every night yeah that they come you're talking about watches it doesn't matter how much you can persist you're gonna get bored out of your head if you're not into watches right and i yeah. think there's only so much you know the girls could take when they when you're or p- not girls i shouldn't say that i mean people who are there for the wrong reasons yeah can take because hours of that is like torture there's a reason why you know as you say kevin your wife's given up on you <laughs> yeah. yeah but so what would you say huh are there still uh, female members in, 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 in Shanghai Watch Gang now? Or it's still, or is it less? So, so due to COVID, are, right? Due to, due to yeah. COVID, yeah. We haven't really been meeting up because, mm-hmm. one, because of the social distancing and, and, and the risks involved. The risks involved in China are high. Like if you not get caught doing a GTG, I mean, get caught COVID, right? But um, also it, it somewhat seems inappropriate, you know, it, it is inappropriate. You know, people, a lot of people are suffering. Cities are going on the lockdown and, and there's a bunch of us meeting up talking about watches. It, it just doesn't seem right. Um, and so I would say, yeah, I don't know when it's going to come back because China is still under the zero COVID policy. And uh, it's just very difficult to predict when something is going to happen and it happens quickly. You don't want to be in the wrong place at the wrong time. So Mm-hmm. but what would you say you know in all the gatherings you've had right which would be the most insane piece you've seen well uh i don't have an insane piece i've seen but i've got it i have an insane experience so okay. um that's better of the original six of the original six guys that we had uh we actually have uh Emmanuel, he's swiss mm-hmm. but he's been in malaysia forever He's married a Malaysian wife. And uh, of course, he stays here. And um, we met up a few times. You know, first, the six of us, we met up a few times, drinks, just to chat about watches and all that. And then we found out that his father was actually Dominic Bede, who was the ex-master watchmaker of complications in AP. His father? His father, yes. That's so okay. Cute. So we have, yeah. And, and, um, and so happened, he comes, uh, it's pre-COVID, right? So he comes twice a year to, of course, visit his son and his daughter-in-law. And uh, he actually, uh, we met up, you know, uh, during one of his trips here, we met up and it was fun. He was telling us crazy stories. On yeah. During his time and he doesn't speak English. And of course, we don't speak French, right? So we had uh, Emmanuel translate the whole night. Uh, gave him a lot of drinks as thanks, but yeah, he had to translate the whole night and it was good. You know, he was telling us stories on um, the QP, how he was part of the design team, the original one, and how he used to be flown to Hollywood to service slice the loans, uh, watches, and uh, it was like, it was just crazy stories that you never heard, right? You never thought it was actually, and he's a nice guy, he's just simple, there's no airs, you know, he, he used to be in Patek for a few years, then he moved to AP. And he was there for for his whole professional life, you know. Yeah. And um, I think that would be the craziest because crazy in the sense that you would never expect something like that to happen in Malaysia. You know, uh, it's not someone that you expect to meet in Malaysia when yeah, we, true. We, yeah. we 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 were lucky enough to have to have that, and then uh, but yeah, then COVID happened, so we haven't seen Dominic for. 
a few years. And uh, hope, I'm hoping that we get to see him soon again uh, to enjoy yeah. you know, another like that. And the interesting part is he still has his, um, um, you know, your pocket watch, your watchmaker's pocket watch, the first one that you do. He still yeah, has the school it. watch. So, yeah, the school watch, right? So that's something that we are looking forward to see as well. Yeah. When he comes. Those nights that you say, yeah, that sounds such a great night. Yeah. You know, like mm-hmm. those are the best, you know, when things and you hear like uh, nostalgic stories and, and, and like you learn something and you learn something. You know, I love these like insider industry information sure. that only ins- like, yeah, that brings light on stuff that you never thought made sense. But then you think, ah, oh, it makes sense now when you say it like that. Yeah. I remember that. I can't rival that, but I remember we had an evening with Vianney Halter, right? Mm. We took him to like um, a shisha bar, right? My friend shisha bar. And he's insane. He's crazy. <laughs> yeah. And the, the energy, I, I can't remember what was said that night, but I remember the energy of the room was just where I was so happy to be there. You know, I was so thankful that... I, you know, could meet Vianney Halter. It's the first time I've met him and I got him to sign something. And, you know, for many, mm-hmm. you know, you know, kids, men talk about like having, you know, a poster of a Lamborghini on their wall, right? Like, honestly, I saw the um, Deep Space Tourbillon, you know, and the Antigua. And I was like, damn, like, am I ever going to get to see that? Right? Am I ever going to touch that? And he brought them with him, you know? And I was like, Fuck you know deep space tourbillon like in my hand you know boom wrist shot you know i i got to touch it you know uh th- 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 those nights are yeah pretty amazing i would say yeah yeah i think those those are better than um actually seeing uh pieces if that makes sense mm-hmm. so you get the experience of the person and the stories and then if you have a piece that you can tie it together then mm-hmm. it just makes everything special rather than just look at a piece and that's it yeah. um you mentioned that a lot of these events started off at the wine kind of like uh basically your shop right so mm. we like i hang out a lot um with watch people at cigar bars so do you see like similarities with like oh certain traits with people who love watches who also love to drink who also love cigars like do you see that i think yeah, I think, I, I mean, there definitely has to be similarities. Um, like what Dan said, um, if you're into any of the three things that you just said, right, you have to be earning at a certain level. Mm-hmm. Right? I'm not saying you're super rich, but you have to be comfortable enough to have disposable income mm-hmm. on things that you don't need. Mm-hmm. So um, there, is, there, is, there is that similarity there. So, um, and people that actually have, uh, it's not only just about me, it's about time as well. You actually need to have the time to sit down for two hours, smoke a cigar or have a bottle of wine or you know, sit, sit with people for two hours or to talk about watches, which is actually like, you know, that's it. In the grand scale of things today, yeah. everything is not important at all, right? So yeah, there are definitely similarities. Mm-hmm. So um, most watch guys are either wine guys, whiskey guys or cigar guys or a combination of I don't know yeah. of, of those, right? Yeah, but I think I think in Shanghai and of course Hong Kong, you guys are, the, the, it, it's much bigger cities. So I'm sure there are um, more 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 than Malaysia, more 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 of these kind of people in 
than compared to Malaysia or even Singapore. Because it's just no man. Because I... yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Because... I'm 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 with Long Long on this. I can see why she's thinking that. Yeah. Yeah, because you know you say KL is small. KL is basically Singapore. Like everybody knows everyone. Anyone that's in mm-hmm. a certain kind of hobby knows everyone as well. But uh, I actually think Singaporeans and Malaysians do it at a higher scale. Like the if you're talking about the value of the thing, like the wines they drink or like mm-hmm. the cigars they smoke, the watch people I have met in Singapore definitely surpass the ones I know here. And here, and and you know, well, okay, have- Singapore may actually be the not not a good comparison. Yeah, I guess it's it's Singapore. Good, yeah. But Hong Kong, I think less. I mean, part of the reason I would even choose to go to a cigar bar is just because there's so little people. So you mm. can just kind of like hide there, actually hide there and just know like, okay. okay, maximum there's one or two people. And there's also days you can just go and be like, okay, just don't talk to me today. I want to sit alone. Oh, yeah. The, the, the vibe at your, um, your, your wine bar seems like the perfect place. I'm telling you, like yeah. when you said like open a bottle and in a secluded place and it's controlled on the people there mate i'm down next time i'm in malaysia well again along we got to do it like me and you are gonna go there get some uh, good food and then head over to his wine bar and then like yeah just probably ignore. be a massive turnout because long long turned up no, wait, kevin just ignore him and <laughs> every episode he self-invites himself to someone <laughs> and- you're always welcome to come bro yeah, so, yeah, and yeah. this ring is cheap now. No, I, I, I'm very like um, honest. Yeah, when it comes to mail, you'll see that I've disappeared. <laughs> yeah. I'll even hide no, in one of those stuck. body bags. Like, I'm not here. I'm not here. <laughs> yeah, but actually, Lon what would you say? You know, is your would you say best experience in the watch gathering, or even like a memorable piece that you've seen? Oh my god, so easy! Like, do you remember when we opened the TI twenty eight? We yeah. opened, it wasn't a gathering, but then we got to do the unboxing, right? First, just, I didn't have such high expectations for the watch, but after like unboxing it and looking at it, I was like, whoa, need this watch like now, right? And then yeah. he was, and then later finding out about six months, yeah, six months later, finding out this is the guy I always wanted to meet in Hong Kong. Like he's the owner of the watch and then finally oh, getting to meet him. And then he's the guy who basically had all the F.B. Joran brass collection, brass movement. Um, and then thinking, okay, like he, uh, it's one of the few collectors that I thought, man, he really knows his stuff. And he's able to, I think with some people, they have an eye, like they just can look at something that people miss. And then they pick these, like, I would say like gems, like up in auction that I think still have very good value. Not in terms like, oh, this is an investment thing, but like they know Mm. that people are missing out. And then many years later, Mm. this thing blows up and then you're like, no, he had an eye for this like a few years back. So this is one of those guys. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's great, isn't it? Where I, I can see what you're saying, where you see this piece, you don't know who the owner is. Yeah, and you know, there's many times where you think, oh, "I wonder what who the owner is. I wonder what he's like, yeah. or she's like." Yeah, and then you get to meet them later, and you think, "Oh, it just matches perfectly." You know, ah, oh, it, it, it's a good story. It's a good ending, kind of thing. Yeah, Kevin had a question. How, how, yeah, how do you unbox a watch without the owner there? We so we actually went to um, 
how would I explain? So there's a guy in Hong Kong. Actually, he'll be very happy if we mention him. He's called Lewis and he runs a really good magazine. And he's also the, um, he used to be, well, he still is an AD for a lot of independent brands. One of them being Kari. Oh. So he, um, he had this TI-28 for this customer. And obviously we were like dying to see it. So he asked the customer, the customer agreed. And then, yeah. <laughs> Ah, okay. Yeah. Yeah. So you, you saw the watch. You saw the watch. I, yeah, it's uh beautiful. It's, yeah, it's really unreal. It's like the kind of stuff that all the dimensions are spot on. Mm -hmm. I yeah. mean, the watch is a bit thick, but I mean, it's similar to the datograph, which me and Dan have. So it's like, okay, mm -hmm. the thickness, I like, I can deal with it. Yeah. And it's also got, don't you think, Long Long, it's got the, you know, in terms of the open work stuff, it's just finally balanced between being too obscene and, and just perfectly enough to keep your interest there. Yeah. You don't think like, ah, oh, you know, this watch is all about open work, you know, it, it, or it sometimes when the watch is too open, it's just a flash piece. Yeah. It's, it's got enough on both sides and you just think, ah, oh, teardrop lugs. It was so, it, like, it yeah. like, you know, when you're not, um, not like a huge collector of independent brands like I'm not and so the first piece you get from this brand you kind of wanted to still have like the main DNA of the brand so with Kari it's like we know he has Van 8 it's like his very classic collection mm. and movement so this is basically mm. a reverse Van 8 so you're like okay you still have the like it captures the essence of the brand but it's crazier <laughs> mm. yeah. yeah but um, that watch is it's something else yeah have you have you seen one have you seen one of those pieces I've, seen only I've, I've never seen the actual piece mm. right we're gonna go into your own personal journey into watches so you know how did you yourself get into watches and what pieces did you start collecting i started with uh vintage rolexes and the reason why i started with vintage rolexes uh was that was the only watch brand that i knew I knew of then, and also it was at uh, prices that I could afford. So vintage Rolexes are at price were at prices that were <laughs> like five k US. You know, as compared to now, now it's like nothing is nothing is affordable. Yeah, I mean, like when you say that, like I could afford it. Everybody's like, what? You, like what? Like do you afford the vintage Rolex? Are you, are you, this is the, your starting it was, it was, point. Yeah, it was the good old days, right? Where uh, exchange rate, the ringgit exchange rate was good. Um, <laughs> subs, uh, four digit subs were like sub five, five k US for four thousand. Oh, oh, oh. So, God, I feel like I got kicked yeah, to the that, balls. <laughs> that's how I got started, and I actually got started because uh, uh, one my friend, I, I wanted to buy a watch and I couldn't afford one, so I reached a point where I could finally afford one, and um the guy that got me into watches asked me, would you mind a vintage Rolex? I'm like, I don't care as long as it's a Rolex, right? And so, so because that's the only thing I knew. And uh, he, one day he just called me and said, the watches arrived. Um, I met him and he held up both his hands and said, just pick one. So uh, in one of his hands, it was a 1680. The other one, in the other hand was a 16800. And uh, I just gravitated to the 1680 without knowing what it was, other than it being a Rolex and a sub. And um, that's how we got started. And uh, yeah, and from Rolexes to sports watches to the Nautiluses to the Royal Oaks to I don't know, everything else, Hublots. 
Dan's favorite. Um, Dan's favorite. Yeah. yeah I'm, and, I'm, the, uh, I'm, the, I'm the only one that hasn't bought a Hublot here. Yeah, really? Yeah, I'm pretty so, sure I'm uh, a bit. Yeah. yeah, I'm I'm a proud uh Hublo Big Bang owner. Proud. It was yeah, cool. Yeah, it was too. really cool back then. Yeah, you love a big bang, don't you? <laughs> God. <laughs> I had to. I had to. <laughs> right. Uh, so yeah, so sorry. Can I can I ask you, yeah, Kevin? You know when you went for the Submariner 1680? Yeah, it's the it's the um it's the date window submariner right yep yeah so did you go with the date because you thought it was practical actually at the time i didn't i didn't know what a purist uh, what a pure sub was right so it's a pure sub is basically like a 513 with no date so you didn't so even I, differentiate I didn't, you didn't differentiate no, between no, like a non-date no, 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 you just went to the sub yep that's that's okay. as much as my knowledge brought me okay right, at that time yeah mm -hmm. And did you go so, Royal Oak first or did you go Nautilus? I went Royal Oak first. Uh, and if you ask me today, I'm still more of a Royal Oak guy than Nautilus. I actually owned the 5711, but I think I wore it less than 10 times. I just left it in the safe. I never, I never wore it. God. Watch um, people hate him after this episode. <laughs> yeah, like... No, yeah. so, so I, no, what I, you're going to get a bunch of DMs you're going to say do you still have the piece <laughs> no I don't have the piece anymore actually watch people like so, show up with these like parang parangs are these like big knife things like outside his wine yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, uh, no, you don't have to uh, tell me the price don't tell me the price but did you sell at the right time yeah yeah I did I did sell it at the right time okay yeah. right. So, but the reason why I never wore it is because um it just never fit. I just never fit my wrist, and I got that one half link bracelet. Have you actually seen it? The, no. the no. one half link you put on. Yeah, thank God. You know, once you once you've seen it, you cannot unsee it. It's just that bad. And I actually bought it. I put it on, and it was like, oh my god, I just couldn't stand it, and I just never wore it. So so I, I basically bought the watch, um, spent even more money buying that one and a half link. And never wore it anyway. So, All right. Yeah. So for the audience, can you explain what you mean by one and a half links? Because you we're brushing over it, but explain it so that they know the okay. origin of your yeah hate. <laughs> no hate. Um, so you can actually buy a link, uh, which is one and a half links size to put on your Nautilus for those that uh, for the Nautilus that doesn't fit on your wrist, right? It just looks horrible mm. it's it's just bad i, I don't know how you just google it you know or maybe don't google it and just you know forget about what what we're talking about today but yeah it's just bad so yeah but i've always been a royal guy more towards royal uh even today although i don't own any royals anymore mm. uh also yeah but okay um, just somehow i think the bracelet everything just it just works better for me Mm. What did you graduate to from Royal Oak and Nautilus? Um, I went, uh, so yeah, Horizons, right? So I started looking at dress watches. I started looking at, um, uh, I would say quality, meaning um, finishing quality, movement build, movement quality, overall aesthetics. So the first one I actually went was uh, after the whole sports watches thing. It was actually the datograph, the original datograph. The ones that you guys Man, have. Your growth so that was like. 
that wasn't like oh let me slowly like discover yeah yeah no it's slow because i've been i've been doing this for what about 10 years 11 years now so it's still relatively quite long yeah. and uh, which data graph it, did you get original he's saying the, the original the yeah which yeah, metal the plat, the plat. Uh, okay. plat on black yeah yeah plat, black on plat yeah so uh and that that just opened up another rabbit hole and uh i'm still in that hole i think mm-hmm. um but yeah it's just more picky picky in the sense that um i let it go no 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 that yeah that that i think is something that's going to be with me forever yeah so good good man that, good man that that that, that, that is yeah. that is one i mean, I'm, I'm always i'm always trying to um tell myself I only need eight watches, right? So don't don't take the Seikos, don't take the yeah. sentimental pieces, right? The, the, the eight that you can live with for the rest of your life, right? Yeah. And it's yeah. always the same of course. But the data graph is forever in there. So, so far. Yeah, uh, yeah but it, it does look like it's going to be there forever, yeah. right? It's arguably, you know, arguably the best yeah. chronograph ever, arguably. Mm-hmm. Right? Everything is just there. There's, a, so, there's, yeah, there's, this, there's, um, there's this set, like, I feel really settled with the data graph. I don't know right. if you know what I mean. Like, yeah, like, like, like I haven't worn life. it for a long time. <laughs> <laughs> like, no, right. you just this feel like, you know what you're going to get. It just performs. It does it never like has a high peak, you know, or low troughs, you know, but it, um, it's just always very state, like almost like a constant, mm-hmm. you know, in your life. And, right. Uh, you always you just turn it turn it turn it over and you you you'll always love that movement. No, no, no. What the hell are you laughing? No, about? because we're still on the same analogy. Like it's your wife. <laughs> yep. So, it's okay. be your wife. Yeah. All right. I'm not going to go there because <laughs> that's something I'm definitely going to get in trouble for. Um. So Kevin, yeah, data graph. Mm. And then into movements. So what then catches your eye? Um, I got a little into Patek's uh, dress pieces, but I don't, well, one, because I can't get hot pieces like anyone else or most of everyone else in the world. But I also gravitated to, uh, uh, I like regular, regulator style watches. Mm. So ah, I got yeah. 52.35, uh, yeah, the, nice. the original one, not the one in gold. Mm. So it's more industrial looking mm, yeah. so it's well i guess it's a pp but it's not really a pp if you don't yeah. know Again, i kind of like get beaten out by people <laughs> so uh yeah and then and then uh move to some independence um i don't know where am i now uh langers i w- went i looked for uh, another langer one which I got the uh, Suarez, the one with the mother of Pearl Giloche doll. Oh, nice. Then, nice. Mm, um, then I started looking at more obscure independent brands. Mm. So I think I'm at a stage where I like, you know, the idea of the guy over the bench, hunch over the bench, really yeah. actually physically making the watches. Yeah. I, I like that idea. So I kind of, I'm, I'm towards that direction now where I'm actually looking for watches that is actually made by a guy over a bench yeah. Um, and uh yeah i think that's where i am right now you've got a a few dbs though haven't you i've got two dbs yes 
uh, both 28. Uh, so, so the Bethune has always been a watch that I've loved, right? So when I was into Rolexes, uh, it was like, like the watch that I would, I would tell myself, if I ever make it in life, that's the watch I want to buy. Okay. And I just never looked at prices. I've never looked at it because I never thought I could afford one. Mm. And uh, again, pre-COVID, um, uh, DB started taking off. Or it was like pre-taking pre off or almost taking off. So Hourglass in Malaysia they actually did like a small exhibition. They actually had 10 watches and that was when they released the 28 XP as well. Mm. So that was actually the first time I actually held and touched a DB in my hand. And I was just sold. And um, yeah, then it spiraled from there. Mm -hmm. But yeah, the 28, the 28, I think, I think, I think uh, Danny is just one of the most, well, I won't say the most amazing, but he's one of top three, top five in my books, mm -hmm. alive, watchmaker alive today mm -hmm. that can actually translate um, his ideas so clearly into, you know, into a physical object. That's what I, I feel about him. So you've got like yeah. steel wheels and um, DB28 kind of yeah. blue. Yeah. yeah, which one do you like more? Why have you got only... two? Okay, why do I have two? Uh, I actually like the steel wheels more because I think it's more wearable. There's more details. It's mm. not as monotonous as the kind of blue. Although the kind of blue is like the quintessential Yeah. Uh, why do I have two? I actually bought two because I fully expected DB to actually rocketed in price, but not so quick, right? So I actually bought the second piece as an investment. So investment in the sense that, okay, I'll just buy it, hedge it. If it goes up, sell it and use that money and buy something better. Mm. Um, and well, it's getting there always. Which there. was the second piece? Uh, the kind of blue was actually the second piece. So the first piece was, yeah. Um, I was actually looking for the kind of blue. But uh, one of the normal dealers that I use, he said he found a brand new steel wheels, uh, which I would I be interested in it. I was like, uh, yeah, why not? You know, mm. price was good, and uh, yeah, that's how I got it. And then I wore it for six months, eight months, just but I still couldn't get the kind of blue out of my mind. Mm. You know, I just it was just an itch that I had to scratch. And he, he, the same dealer found 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 a kind of blue as well, uh, and yeah, that's how I ended up with two. Wow. But it was, well, it was lucky in the sense that it was pre-hype. Pre so, mm. But the hype really took off like you know, yeah. six months after I got my first piece or something like that. Okay. How about mm -hmm. like independence, like um, Lang and Hain and that kind of finishing mm. standard? Or okay, even so Kari Vutalainen? Kari. Uh, so um, to me, the main thing about watches it has to be uh, aesthetics first. So the aesthetics has to speak to me. So I, if, if you have the best finishing in the world with the best movement and best movement design and blah, blah, blah. But if the aesthetics doesn't speak to me, mm. it just, I know, I, I just, I just, I, I'll read about it. I will, yeah. I, will, I will try to appreciate it. I will try to understand it, but it just, I won't buy it. It won't be something that was stuck on my mind. Mm. So um, yeah, so always aesthetics first. And um I after getting into DBs, then I went to Oworks. Uh, I, I love what how Oworks did you have? Uh, I had the UR100. Which one's that one? Just uh, the, the move entry level one. 
Yeah, well, they all look like spaceships, yeah, but it's the most wearable. Yeah, yeah the most the most wearable. Yeah. Okay. Um, but I I I think Oworks look better, not on the wrist, if that makes sense. <laughs> no, I agree. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's amazing watches, right? Uh, this is really cool, but just I, I think it's more suited for uh, Caucasian wrist the year. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, maybe it's just, yeah. you know, because right. I can't wear a eleven. Yeah, so it's just me. <laughs> and uh, then, uh, yeah, the MBNFs and you know, just the big, the big indies. Uh, then slowly from there, then I'm. Uh, uh, finishing so yeah uh, recently got into a curry uh, I placed an order for a curry and uh, I got an re- email I didn't really read the email paid the deposit and then realized that curry said yeah okay we'll deliver you watch in five years so I'm on a five year waiting list now <laughs> alright <laughs> so yeah but I'm, I'm, I'm trying to keep keep excited right? but yeah you know hard. it's not five years though do you? you know it's more like eight <laughs> like uh, he's never going to be on time so my argument is i think he's one of the last few big independents that are still mm. that are still accepting orders right mm. yeah so you know so when you said like uh when you said you know um dennis falagele being one of the top five watchmakers in your mind mm. that are still living who are the mm. others um well uh curry i think for finishing he's definitely to me he's number one uh, even better than it's going to be blasphemous, but even better than uh, before. And to, to me, I think Kyrie is number one uh, for finishing. Uh, then, yeah, I think it's just aesthetics. I mean, he's all, all, all his um, the movement, the, 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 the balance wheels, and everything. I think it's different, but I think it's just the aesthetics of how it is. Um, Great watchmakers. I, I, I think you actually have to categorize it. You, you can't just like lump okay. everything uh, into like great, top five watchmakers. Great British watchmakers. Uh, there's only one there. Roger Smith. Uh, oh, two. I mean, oh, alive. Yeah, okay. So there's only one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's, yeah. Roger, Roger Smith pieces are just nuts, but uh, unobtainable. Mm. Mm. I'm helping a, a friend design one right now. And um, I think we're going for the series four, which is the the the, the calendar one, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, it's just such a fun thing to do when it's not your money. <laughs> yeah, but I'm having so, a lot of fun with it. Yeah, I, I love the series too. I think just and I don't need it to be uh, custom. I just want it to be how Roger wanted it to be. Mm. So if I can ever lay my hands on on one series two just in 38 mm and white metal uh that'll be like I, I think i can die a happy man <laughs> <laughs> okay well let's finish on that question um kevin on the main interview you mm-hmm. know you got your like quote unquote grail piece in the db28 now you've got that is there one piece that you get it and you just you're done you die to you die and go to heaven yeah, the, the, Ro- the, the Roger Smith, right? The Roger Smith series two comes quite close, right? Um, yeah, I think that uh, 38 brass resonance quite close as well. Oh, okay. 
Okay. Yeah, I think I think yeah. As of this moment, these two watches are yeah. yeah that's pretty expensive, isn't it? <laughs> but that's that. There's a reason why I don't have either yeah. one of them. So yeah, right. <laughs> well, I enjoyed that conversation with you. It was a uh, quite you know quite fun and a lot of laughter. And I hope that when yeah I can go to Malaysia and you know join your like crew and have a good time with the wine probably more so because of the wine i guess but <laughs> but well, let's go to the reverso round okay so two questions uh, his documents yeah, yeah. write it down just because just in case i forget right <laughs> so no, no you said that you've never sold a watch ever yeah. right if yeah. i remember correctly but yeah. is it because you don't believe in selling or it's more sentimental value or you just can't be bothered i mean okay. because your taste would change yeah, yeah. along your journey right um it's definitely not sentimental i'm not a sentimental person because i kind of also think okay if it's a memory then it's already like cemented in my brain i don't need that piece but i do look at my watches like I, i've said this lots of times kind of like um like snapshots so i like open a box and i'll be like this is when i was like this age and then i was really into work and so it's obviously a dress watch and then now i'm looking at say like wimbledon obviously i really want to get into tennis and all this kind of stuff right but the other thing actually is i just cannot be i cannot be bothered that's one i'm really bad at, at dealing with um people online or any kind of platform online i'm still a very traditional like store a uh, brick and mortar kind of person mm. but i also realized now looking back it was also because i'm inexperienced because uh if i look at i think i would say let's say jacqueline i think her growth and collecting like surpasses me by a lot so she's very comfortable um like buying knowing knowing to let pieces go and then evolving and then it's just taken me so mm. long to say Hey, I haven't worn I haven't worn my Langomatic for six months, to be honest. And uh, if I have to find a reason to wear it, I probably don't need that piece. Then I'm like, okay, I can already tell you right now what I will replace that piece with. But then it's like, why can't I just get my ass to move that piece and sell it? Like, <laughs> it's just sitting there and it's annoying me. So I wish I like I can't wait for the day that I sell my first piece. Like I will I will actually celebrate. I will actually be like, okay, I have moved up okay. a, a level in terms of collecting. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Then uh, my second question would be, um, I mean, you guys have seen plenty of pieces, right? And of course, every year there are new pieces from different brands coming out. But back to what you were saying then, right? Does anything get you interested anymore what what gets you interested right is it a new piece a new movement new collection new metal new i don't know i don't know it, it seems to be a variation yeah. of something that's been done i think that 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 question really depends on when you would have asked me because i think there was a period in the watch journey where the pieces weren't interesting me anymore and the people were the people behind mm -hmm. the watches were, you know, their stories and and actually the friendships that were being made, especially with me, that that counted more for it. It was more of an avenue to do that because maybe there just wasn't enough pieces that are coming in. And just because there are new pieces coming in, you kind of also 
get fatigued in what brands are actually trying to do. You know, like you, you see it more commercially, you know, you, mm-hmm. the more you, like you had, you mentioned that conversation you had with the AP Complications Master Watchmaker, right? You have a lot of those conversations where you learn a lot about more about the industry and what's going on. And it also takes the sheen off it, right? Yeah. Um, but uh, what was the question? <laughs> does, does anything get you, get you excited? Does, that, does anything get me excited? Um, yeah. Really not. What's the last thing that got you excited? Ah, the Rechap. I really want a Rechap. <laughs> yeah. I want this, like, uh, the second one. Like, but I, obviously, if you get it, you ain't going to get it. But that is the piece that I really, really wanted. And, and I think to answer your question is because there was a long time where I haven't really known what I want, like, from watches. And therefore, I, I'm also not going to be forced into, you know, accelerating or buying a certain piece just to gain a certain piece right there are pieces that i like and if i can't get them i can't get them mm-hmm. yeah but then i'm not gonna settle for something else right so mm-hmm. i i mean there was a period of time where i really liked the five two three one i couldn't get it um and there'd be many pieces like that you know ap double balance you know there's another piece um but yeah, now I think I feel comfortable. Yeah, I'm really looking at that ingenuity right now. And then when it comes to this vintage side, certainly this whole vintage thing has come up within me. And so it then all becomes about the hunt and the condition and stuff like that. But is it more uh, because of the hunt or because of the watch? Or is it, is it because of the watch, you mean? Is it because of the watch or do you actually hunt more? Yeah, the hunt is exciting. So it's like... Yeah, the hunt, hunt's exciting. Exclusivity is definitely important for me. I don't want to... That's always been consistent with me. I've never wanted like Mm. a piece that... I know I just said AP double balance, but but I've never been like a 57.11 guy or a a 15.202 kind of guy just to get a 15.202, you know? Mm-hmm. I've always wanted something that was completely left field and off the radar and independence really speak to me. I like the idea of what you said about a man going over the bench. So that's why I said Recep, although, you know, he does have a team, but I really appreciate the work there. And I love the simplicity of the piece, love the finishing. Um, Roger Smith, you know, like, again, that really resonates with me because I am from the UK, right? And yeah. that's an early part of my life there. And a handmade watch completely like that. I think uh, if you go back to the interview we had with him, I think only two components he doesn't make, right? Everything else he makes from like a piece of scratch. It, yeah, I just admire that, you know? Amazing. But what else, what else you know, do you need? Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I would say those two pieces right now. Yeah. Are the ones I want. I, I haven't really looked beyond that. Yeah. But right now in my collection, uh, I feel I, I'm comfortable. Like I just think they cover so many things. Is the datagraph, right? The reverso, mm-hmm. um, GMT, uh 1931, ultra thin, mm-hmm. right? And then the Movado. Yeah, my vintage Movado. Nice. Yeah, yeah nice. like calendar graph, like all three, you would say, 
discreet um not your kind of like run of the mill uh mm. they all kind of do everything that i need um they all are great at accessorizing um uh, i just a great story got that heritage yeah i just i think those three i just need and then, believe it or not i really like the uh the shanghai divers watch i have as well because that that really resonates with me with the whole china thing and and how many pieces that is really rare as well mm-hmm. um and i've always wanted to get a piece like that and so that's kind of there i'm not talking about and then there's a bunch of sentimental stuff right so so yeah right so let's go to the pump pusher round okay, okay. uh yep. okay number one you run a wine store right you said that you know the AP master watchmaker was telling you some like inside secrets, how he serviced slice Stallone's watch and stuff. Tell us one trade secret in the wine industry. One trade secret in the wine industry. Yeah. Uh, wow. Um, it's like watches. So you have to bulk buy if you want all your first growths. You have to what? You have to bulk buy. Oh, you have to group buy. Um, so let's say if you want, if you want, if you want watches now, right? You have to get this, this, this to a certain amount. Then yeah, they will allocate you something. It's the same with wines as well. Is it is it shitter than watches? Mm, well, I think I think I think watches is worse because you really have to get a piece that you don't like. Uh, <laughs> then you get a piece that you like. With wine, at least you don't really get bad wines, okay. right? So, so if you want to buy like a first growth, the wines that they're going to offer you to uh, group it, right? It's not going to be bad. It's, it's still drinkable. It's still enjoyable. So I think in that sense, yeah, watches, uh, wines is better. So, so Kevin, are you trying to say in a roundabout way that you bought a Code 1159? <laughs> mm, not yet. Not yet. But, okay. And the other main thing is, at least with wines, you're like, you can buy, like you're putting in an order and you're buying something. But with, watches you're like degrading yourself you're like going to a store to let people laugh at, like laugh in your face kind of level <laughs> like, yep. it's like what am i doing with my life <laughs> hey lama aren't you doing that thing where you're regularly going to the watch shops yeah. right have you this got is, anywhere this is why i'm telling you from firsthand experience like and you, do you know what okay by the time this episode comes out it's fine because i have i would have like um like it's already like way past so i went to a vacheron event and this uh there's only two boutiques in hong kong and one of the boutique heads came to me and was like uh, uh like introducing himself like please come down and i was like oh um which boutique are you at and it's that boutique that laughed laughed me out of the store <laughs> i was like what <laughs> Well, he's got it in now. Uh, yeah. So he messaged me today and he's like, would you like to look at these pieces? And I was like, oh, like angry, but like, I'm so pathetic. I will go in. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Right. Kevin, number two, we always talk about great food here on this podcast, right? Tell mm-hmm. us one Malaysian dish. That you actually don't like. Oh, uh, uh, 
One like a long, long space. It looks like I've like, like blasphemed. Yeah, like how can you ask a question like that? <laughs> That's tough, yeah. Uh, okay, so most Malaysians will tell you that the food that they miss is roti canai or prata in Singapore, something like yeah, that, yeah, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think nine out of ten guys will tell you roti is like the the one thing that they cannot go with go without. Uh, for me, it's nasi lemak. So I don't, I don't think roti canai is as good as what ninety percent of the population says. If that counts. Yeah, that's a valid answer. Wait, can I just check? You know, custard apple. Dan, do you know what custard apple is? No, it's a fruit, right? It's like a fruit, and the inside is seeds. Oh, sorry, sour sop. You know, sour sop. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So sour sop is a kind of fruit, and it's kind of sour, and it's a a drink. I don't know if you have it in Malaysia. They have it in Singapore, but like if I have to like mm, yeah, forever yeah. not eat one thing out of the whole, like because I don't want to give up anything, I'll just be like, okay, I don't want to drink that juice. <laughs> Why you don't like it? No, nah, it's I good. Live without it, there's so many amazing things I just cannot live without. <laughs> like my life will be over. <laughs> But yeah, yesterday, yeah, there was, yeah, it was definitely yesterday. Long Long yeah. sent me a picture of this dish, and I know it was a moment for her. She was, was. emotional. Like I messaged she was emotional. On my WhatsApp and my whole family. I I actually sat by myself and I had a moment. It was laksa, by the way. I haven't had it in so long, and it's in this like, the Singaporean food in Hong Kong is just so mediocre. And even the name of the store is like Kaya, like Kaya Toast, right? So you can already know what standard it's gonna be. And like, I just sat there and I had a moment. I felt like I was gonna cry, even though this <laughs> this one had like fish balls inside, which you're not supposed to have fish balls. But I was like, like you just feel like you're in heaven. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's how much you missed it. Yeah, it's so good. Right, number three. One thing we have to do if we go to Malaysia. Uh, eat. Yeah. Like, yeah it sounds amazing. Long Long was saying like, um, whatever's good in Singapore is like on steroids in Malaysia. Yeah. Yeah. Mm, it is. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I don't want to. I don't want to make Singaporeans <laughs> angry. I think we have better food. Honestly, we do have better food. Um, there are some good Singaporean stuff. Right, but in general, I think Malaysia has better food. Ah, uh, hawker food especially. Yeah. Fine dining, yeah. Then Singapore is definitely better. Right, number four. One habit that is exclusive to Malaysian culture. One thing that you guys do. Wow. Uh, one habit. <laughs> That's tough. Um, we. I'm not sure actually. Can I take a pass on that? Okay, I'll let you pass. Right, number five. <laughs> another hobby that you like or would like to get into? Um, cooking actually. Okay, so, I mean, um, like that, that's obviously been staring in your face your whole life. What? Why? Mm -hmm. I mean, is it a hobby that you already do, or is it something you want to get into? Um. Uh, well, I've always had this. Uh. Well, not always, but I always wanted to like maybe join a cotton blue course or something like that right, just yeah. be able to cook at a level that you know that that you can it's make like yourself edible. happy and then you yeah and then you never cook right you're like everyone oh you've got to your course yeah but i know i cook but i'm not gonna cook yeah. 
So, oh. so yeah, this maybe it's like a bucket list thing. Any particular like cuisine? Um, French, I guess. Uh, just for the sauces, just for uh, the technique. Mm. So um, I think if you have, if you can master some some techniques, you should be able to cook decent food all around. <laughs> Should right. okay. Um, number six. Any regrets in life? Well, uh, plenty of us, uh, but none big enough to actually worry about, in a sense. Okay, good answer. Right. Number seven. Most memorable moment in your life so far? Uh, birth of my son. Oh. Um, so I've got two kids. Uh, I've got a son and a daughter. But the birth of my son was memorable because, uh, of course, it's the first. Yeah, harsh. Yeah. Yeah. No, no, no. First person says because you don't know what to expect, right? And also because uh, he, he had a labored birth. So um, ah. he had to go to uh, the NICU. And that was two days of me feeling like the most useless person on earth. Like there was nothing you, there's literally nothing you could do. Mm-hmm. Right. Other than, you know, so memorable in a sense is good because it's my son yeah right mm-hmm. uh, also memorable because of all the other things that happen okay. um and also that brought uh, a change in life i guess uh, so once you get married i don't think it's a big change it's like you know like it's just a piece of paper that you sign with your wife and you know life goes on right but once you get kids i think it's just a different outlook mm-hmm. which i wasn't prepared for it took me like two years after the birth when he was two years old, I found like, oh yeah, I've got a kid now. No, no, it's time to change my life around the kind of thing. Or two years too late. Or better late than ever. Yeah. So yeah, both of my kids. Definitely. And did anything like um instigate that? Like why two years? I, I don't know. I'm just saying maybe it was maybe it was three, I can't remember. <laughs> um Isn't it like most marriages are usually two years later. You have a bit of you know, it's just it just never came to you know it's like yeah you're gonna have a kid your kid comes and it's a profound moment right but you don't actually know what you're getting yourself into until you actually well, go through it <laughs> so yeah right. okay number eight your most prized possession my most prized possession um uh, i actually have a watch from my great grandfather so uh he came from china uh so he was uh, i'm currently what uh i'm third generation so my kids are fourth generation uh malaysians now so he came from china and he he the only piece uh, well the only valuable thing that he actually owned was a gold-plated doctor's watch mm. it's like 32 mm it's just small it's not worth any money the gold plating is just coming off mm. but yeah i think that would be the most prized possession mm. from my great-grandfather yeah and uh my grandmother's wedding ring. I think this too. Wow, that's 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 amazing that it's made it through so many generations, and you know something so mm-hmm. delicate like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, in the condition you said, it's pretty amazing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's 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 not worth any money. There's no brand. There's no nothing on it. It's just it's just a small gold plated case with an enamel dial or porcelain dial. One of them. It's not something yeah. that I will wear, but it's just it's great as a keepsake, I guess. Yeah, my my dad actually like. He had this dress watch, super thin. I can't remember the brand of it. And um, I think the, the, the plastic, the, the plexiglass came off. So in his mind, he was like, okay, the watch is done, right? 
And I think at the time they were glued on, you know, and he just chucked it in the bin. And I was like, no, 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 we're going to take that back. <laughs> you know, you, you shouldn't have chucked it in front of me. <laughs> so I went in and I picked it up from the bin. Yeah, and I, I'm, I'm trying to find um, a custom person to replace the plexiglass, which I don't think should be too difficult. Yeah. Um, number nine, your quote or mantra for life. Don't reinvent the wheel. Don't reinvent the wheel. Okay. Yeah. So, um, I don't know, just something that my, my dad taught me. Uh, just don't reinvent the wheel in the sense that don't be lazy, but um, there's always someone that knows better than you. So just reach out, just find advice. Even if you know that you think you're right, mm. there's no harm calling a few other people just to double check. You know? So you know, things like that. Okay. And the last one, one thing that you hope to achieve before the end of year. This year. Yeah. Uh, travel overseas. Ooh. Sorry? What did you travel say? Travel somewhere overseas. Malaysia's open. Oh, yeah. Uh, but you also have yeah, but we have, I haven't been traveling. So yeah. so the only reason why I haven't traveled overseas or been on a plane is because my daughter is uh, coming to two. So she's not vaccinated. It's tough for her to wear a mask. I just mm. don't want to bring her on a plane. Mm. But as you know, uh, I just the whole family just got COVID uh, last week. So I think we're clear we can fly now. So, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Oh my god. Uh, right. Okay. Yeah. Well, where will you go? Anywhere. And uh I think the easiest would be to Thailand, you know, just either like Bangkok or just yeah. one of the beaches, seaside resorts. Yeah, that'd be easy. Yeah, keep it easy. Yeah, with the kids and stuff, right? Yeah. yeah. Okay, well, that's the end of the podcast. Kevin, it was a real pleasure to talk yeah. to you. It was real fun and uh, really enjoyed it on this uh, Friday night just to basically shoot ball with you. And yeah, I hope yeah. to meet you like all the other guests, right, for the last two and a half years. Yeah. Hope you meet you in person, yeah. Um, yeah, but I'm really looking forward to some really good food in Malaysia, man, if I go there. Do come. Uh, just pick um, out. Yeah, do come. Um, my, my best buddy is actually in Shanghai. And I used to stay in Shanghai for a few years. I used to work there. But I haven't uh, been back for forever. Uh, so yeah, I do, I do want to make a trip to Shanghai as well, just for all time's sake. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Come, come, come. Yeah. And, but uh, it's not open yeah. now. Yeah, I know. <laughs> so don't come now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> all right. Yep. Well, we'll Thanks carry on this conversation, you know, um, I'm yeah. sure on Instagram or WhatsApp. Um, thank you for your time. Thank you. And uh, thank you, audience, for listening and following this. Um, we'll see you on the next one. Bye. Bye. Bye, guys. Cheers. As always, thank you for listening to the Waiting List podcast. We hope you've enjoyed it as much as we have. And if you have any questions, comments, or feedback, feel free to reach out to us at the Waiting List podcast on Instagram or via our private accounts. We'll see you on the next one. Bye. Bye. Bye.